as you know, um, and as we've talked about, the first time that we meet Daniel, sort of uh, this, this man that we're walking with uh, this semester, the first time we meet him, we meet him as a college student, don't we? A college student enrolled uh, at Babylon U. Uh, he is there for three years, uh, and he's doing as the text says uh, in verse, verse 4. Um, he is learning the lit and the language of the Chaldeans. Chaldean 101, best of the Babylonians, right? He's taken these classes. He's learning uh, the Babylonians' ways. He's learning their worldview. You could say he's learning the flow of that culture. But he is not always going along with it. As we have seen, right, they tried to give him a new name. Uh, but Daniel, with the help of his friends, was always able to remember his true identity. They tried to tempt him uh, with riches uh, and with pleasure. But Daniel, we saw it, was uh, resolved to remain faithful to his God. I mean, uh, he is in it, right? But he is not of it. Jesus said that we, his followers, are supposed to be salt and light. Uh, he says that we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And we see this time and again with Daniel. He's here on the college campus. He's not a chameleon. If you remember, you know what that meant. He's not just blending in, taking on the colors of the, the people around him. Right? He's not assimilating fully. And he's not a muskox either. He's not completely removed from the life of the culture, sort of tribalizing, just hanging out with you know, fellow Christians and pointing his horns out at everyone else who's not. He's neither of these, right? He is salt and light, spread out, but not losing his saltiness. In it, but not of it. He's different, for goodness sake. Well, how can we be the same? And this is the question that we are coming to again and again. Instead of just going with the flow, how can we be a counterculture for the common good? That's what we're asking. Well, what I want to do for the next three weeks uh, is consider some of the things that you are being taught here. I mean, we could think, what is Daniel learning in college? But I want us to, for, to, to just to slow down and for us to consider, what is it that you're learning here? Not necessarily in the classroom. I know we're all a bunch of different majors and you're learning lots of different things. But what are some of the ideas that are swirling around you and me and all of us here at the University of Vermont? What are these ideas that we are swirling, uh, that are swirling around us, and yet we hardly notice them at all? Uh, I'm calling this the flow, or sort of the cultural current. These are the kinds of beliefs that everybody else around you just seems to believe and go along with. The kinds of beliefs that elicit, well, duh, right? Everybody thinks that. Everybody knows that. Beliefs that, not are, that are not always stated, but are most certainly there. They are beliefs that are powerful, that are driving, and if you are not aware of them, uh, they could very well take you places that you don't want to go. I want to examine some of those beliefs for the next three weeks, and you could think of it as one sermon a week for every year that Daniel's in college. That's what we're going to do for the next three weeks, right? He's there for three years. Let's spend three weeks thinking about the flow, the cultural currents here at the University of Vermont. I want to talk to you about freedom and how you think about it. 
I want us to talk about sex and how you and your peers think about it. And I want to talk about truth and in exclusivity, right? Uh, uh, does, is it right for us to claim to have the truth or is that an, ex, you know, an exclusive and an intolerant thing to say? I want to talk about those things with you. But tonight what I want to do is I want to talk about freedom. Okay, there's a popular idea around here that in order to be happy, we need to be free. We need to be free to do what we want, when we want, right? So long as we don't harm anyone. It's a popular belief. And I want to unpack that a little bit. And I want to explain or maybe point out to you what I think are some problems with that. Um, I then want to offer up to you another perspective. That what makes us most happy is not that we're most free. What makes us most happy is when we are most human. And I'll explain what I mean by that. Okay? But let's tackle this notion that we are most happy when we're most free. Okay, I've heard lots of students, um, not necessarily you, but maybe your roommate, um, maybe the kid who sits next to you in class. Um, I've heard them say that I should be free to do what I want so long as it doesn't harm anyone. This idea sounds really good in theory, like that sounds reasonable enough, right? Let's, we should be free to do what we want so long as we don't harm anyone. I mean, it's good in theory, but it's pretty useless in practice. It doesn't really work. The reason it doesn't work is because it assumes that what is harmful is obvious to everybody. And that we all agree on what is harmful. And that we all agree that we're not going to do what is harmful. But... That's not so obvious. And not everybody is on the same page. Let me just give you a few examples to make this point clear. When you think about pornography, okay, a man sits in his home and he watches porn and he says, what's the big deal, right? It's just me and my computer. Nobody's getting hurt. Another person says, that's just not true. Lots of people are being hurt. And while some people like to work in this industry, a lot of people don't. Right? They hate it, in fact. They're there because of some addiction, or because of some past sexual abuse, or because of sex trafficking. So when you watch porn at home, you are literally taking pleasure at someone else's pain. What's more, studies have shown again and again that porn has adverse effects on human relationships, that when you watch porn, you begin to objectify people. and no, You no longer see people as human beings made in the image of God, but you really just see them as an assembly of body parts that you can use for your pleasure. And all of these things, right, affect us as a society and as a community. And so, you know, lots of people are being harmed when you watch porn. We can think of another example, right, the painful decision to have or not have an abortion. Some, to, to the pregnant woman who is considering having an abortion, some would say, this is, there's only one person involved. Right? This is really just about you. And you need to do what you need to do, what makes you, what's the best outcome for you. Of course, the counter to that is not, you're not just harming one person, you're harming two. 
if you're not harming yourself physically, you might be hurting yourself psychologically. And of course, there is a life inside of you that you're not just harming, but you're ending. There's no agreement. Like one says, there's no harm involved, and another person says, no, there is. And we can. A third example is uh, the most recent protest um, at the University of California in Berkeley. Okay, do you all aware? Are you aware of what's happened there? There is a lot of violent protests. Uh, that really kind of rocked that campus, which is not all that dissimilar from the University of Vermont. Um, you would feel pretty at home there. Uh, there were some students who didn't want the editor uh, of Breitbart News, a guy named Milo. They didn't want him speaking on their campus. And they were protesting because they said, he doesn't have a right to be on our campus because his far-right views hurt people, right? They harm people. And so we don't want to give him a platform. But other students disagreed, and they said, what's really harmful is stifling free speech. That's the most harmful thing that we could do, right? Shutting people up, even if those views are different than ours, right? Even if those are views that we don't necessarily agree with, we need to make sure that we protect free speech, and to, and to shut that down is actually the most harmful thing. So one side saying we need to let them speak, the other side saying no, right? There's no agreement as to what is actually harmful. And if we had the time, we could spend, we could flesh out many more examples. But the point remains that this theory that we should be free to do what we want so long as we don't harm anyone, it sounds good. But it is, when it comes to the real world and, and practical issues, it, it fails. It is not a helpful guide. It does not help you make decisions here, Right? It just leads to shouting matches, right? What one person thinks is a no, another person is saying it's, ter- it's perfectly fine. What's the big deal? And I think it's actually this, you, you see this in our culture so much. Right? We are so polarized. Just people shouting at each other. You can't do that. Well, why not? Well, because it's harmful. Well, says who? Says me. Well, that's just your opinion, right? And around and around we go. And we get nowhere. A lot of people say it, it just, it's not helpful. The second problem with this idea, that I should be free to do whatever I want so long as I don't harm anyone, is that it denies the debt that we owe to other people. It denies the debt we owe others. It suggests that we are completely autonomous, self-made men and women. Um but we're not. We're not. Uh, To quote Tim Keller here, though Western people like to think of themselves as mainly the products of their own decisions and choices, such is not the case. You are the product of a family and community of people who invested massive amounts of time, industry, and love in you, much of it happening before you can speak and before you can now remember. End quote. That is to say, you are here in this room, Living Learning Commons 315. You are here at this campus, the University of Vermont. And frankly, you are on this planet because someone else made sacrifices for you. And I'm not just talking about the sacrifices on a battlefield where soldiers are dying to secure our freedoms. I'm talking 
about sacrifices that hit much closer to home. People who sacrificed time and energy to feed you. Who made sacrifices so that they could provide clothing for your back. Who bathed you. Who changed your diapers. Etc., etc. The reason you are not free to do whatever you want is because you depend and have always depended on other people. Who you are and where you are is largely the result of others laying down their lives for you. And it has always been this way. So saying that you should be free to do whatever you want so long as you don't harm anyone just simply ignores that reality and sort of skates over that fact. There's a movie called Calvary that was filmed in 2014, and in that movie, a a woman, a young woman, attempts suicide. She attempts, she fails. And she explains to her father uh, afterwards, sort of justifying her decision to try to kill herself. She says, I belong to myself, not to anybody else. And her father replies, true, false. It's a tired old argument, he says, but what about those you leave behind? What right do you have to strike a blow and inflict a pain on others that will never be healed? What right do you have to darken their lives permanently? In other words, you think you're not harming others, but you are. And you think your life is your own, but it's not. You see, our choices are always personal, but they are rarely private. Our our choices are always personal, but they are rarely private because they affect other people. We are not as autonomous as our culture would have us believe. Thirdly, okay, this idea that I am most happy when I am most free, most happy when I get to do whatever I want, the problem with this idea is that it imagines you can be happy without loving someone else or being loved by someone else. Most people would say that loving and being loved is actually critical, or if not critical, very, very important, right, to one's happiness. And the research really backs this up. Study after study shows that the greatest indication of whether or not you are going to be happy in this life, it has nothing to do with your age, it has nothing to do with your health, it has nothing to do with your gender, it has nothing to do with your ethnicity, It has nothing to do with how much money you make. It has nothing to do with whether or not you live by the mountains or by the beach. None of those things matter. Your happiness goes up or goes down with the quality of your relationships. Not so much the quantity of your relationships, it's the quality that really matters. In a famous uh, TED talk, Uh, There's a psychiatrist named uh, Robert Waldinger. It's kind of a great name. Robert Waldinger, he, he asks and he answers this question in this talk, 
What keeps us happy and healthy as we go through life? Now, Robert Waldinger is the director of a 75-year-old study on adult development done through Harvard University. They've tracked people, uh, they've been tracking people for, for this long. It's the longest study of its kind. And as the director of the study, who has spent so many years right, studying this question, Robert Waldinger really has a right to speak on this topic. Okay? And he says in this talk, all right, the clearest message we get from the 75-year study, he says, and I quote, is that relationships keep us happier and healthier, period. Social connections are really good for us. Loneliness kills. People who are more socially connected to family, to friends, to community, are happier. They're physically healthier, and they live longer than people who are less well-connected. End quote. There's a lot of data, and the data is in, friends. If you want to be happy, you need good, you need good close, and loving relationships. But here's the deal. In order to have good, close, and loving relationships, you need to curtail your freedom. You need them to be happy, but in order to have them, you need to curtail your freedom. I've been married to Megan for seven years, and I've been Willa's dad for almost a year and a half. And next to Jesus, those are the most important relationships in my life. And the deeper and the more intimate these relationships become, the more I lose my independence. The closer I grow in my love for Megan and for Willa, the less freedom I actually have. You know, there's many things that I do, not because I love doing them, right? Who loves changing poopy diapers or waking up at 2 o'clock in the morning, right, to hush a, a screaming child? You are not doing this because you love doing that. You're doing that because you love the person you're doing it for. It's not what I would have picked, right? It's not my choice to change poopy diapers, but I do it. Not because I love doing it, because I love the person I'm doing it for. And paradoxically, it's in the giving up of some freedoms that I actually get to experience a whole new other set of freedoms. The kind of freedoms that only being loving and loving, being loved and loving can actually unlock. It's funny, I gave up some freedoms when I promised to marry Megan, but that in turn has unlocked freedoms that I would never know. The freedoms of knowing what it's like to really be loved by another human being, you know, next to Jesus. So here we are, friends. Right? Small fish in a big ocean. Uh, an ocean with many currents or flows in it. And this is one of them. This is one of the currents that is swirling around this place. Right? You are most happy when you are most free. You need to be free to do whatever you want so long as you don't harm anyone. Right? It's here. I've sought, I've sought to show you that this idea is unworkable, that it's irresponsible, and that it's unloving. Which means we need a, a better and a truer understanding of human happiness and human freedom. Okay? And for that understanding, we ought to turn to the Bible.
Where are we going to get a better, true understanding of what true freedom and true happiness is? It's by going to the Bible. It's when we tune our ears as well as our hearts to listen to what God has to say. And here's why that is a reasonable term. Here's why that makes sense. Christians believe that God made everything. Okay, people praise, they love and praise Steve Jobs because he made a thing called an iPhone. Right? We adore him for that. But let's step back for a moment and consider that God invented all of the atoms that are involved in the making of an iPhone. Like God invented matter, right? Atoms. And everything that Steve Jobs is working with, right? The materials in his hands as well as the brain in his skull, God designed it. So we should actually be praising him for the iPhone, right? He is the maker. and I know it's kind of a silly thing, right? Like, I, and I know I'm being silly, right? But, it's, but the point is true, right? Like, God is the maker and author of all things. And that includes you and me, right? Because God made us, right, he knows how we work. He designed us. He knows us inside and outside. He knows us backwards and forwards, right? He wrote the instruction manual, on what it means to be human. So when we ask this question, how do I work? Or what's the secret to my happiness? God knows the answer. He knows best. He has the authority. And here's what he has to say. You are most happy when you're most human. You are most happy when you are most human. You are most happy when you live according to your design. And what is our design? Well, it says so right here. Okay. It says in Genesis 1, 26 to 28, that our design is that we are made in the image of God. We are made in the image of God for the sake of imaging God. We were made to know him and to show him. To know him and to show his heart and his character uh, to the rest of the world around us. In the simplest of terms, we were created to love. To know God's love and to reflect God's love. To love him. To love one another. To love the world that he entrusted to our care. You see that too. This is what it means to be a human being. When we are in these loving relationships, when we, as our logo and water bottles declare, when we love God, when we love others, when we love UVM, when we are in these loving relationships, we are the most happy. We're the most happy we'll ever be because it's in those loving relationships that we are the most human. It's what we were made for. And again, the research bears this out. Okay, the secret to a happy life is not found in fame or fortune. It's found, as Robert Waldinger has shown, right, in loving relationships. It's found in the quality of our relationships, particularly with God, with other human beings, and with this world. 
This is in keeping with our design. Right? In Bible study this week, uh, Jesus wants to talk to you and he wants to talk to me about the law. Okay, and you see in your study that word law is capitalized. Some of you are asking, well, what law is Jesus talking about? We joked last night, he's probably not talking about, you know, GMO labeling laws in Vermont. Like, that's not the law, right? He's talking about the law. And so you say, does that mean like the Ten Commandments? And yes, you're on the right track. It's all of the, old, it's all the, the laws in the Old Testament, right? It's the laws that Jesus said could be summarized in two commands, right? This is the law summarized in two commands. You are to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and mind and soul and strength. And you are to love your neighbor as yourself. Right? On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Right? When God gives us the law, when he says, love God, love others, he's essentially telling us how we work. He's saying, this is how you are to live. This is the kind of life that you were made for. Do this and you will live. This is the good life. Right? You know, when Henry Ford um, designed the automobile, I imagine that he gathered some friends around and, and he said, look, uh, I've made this thing I, that I call car. And, and here, look at how it works. If you put the gasoline right in here and inside this thing I call a gas tank, right? this thing runs and you can take it all over the place. If you were to say, yo, Henry, thanks, but I don't want to put gasoline in it. Uh, I want to put orange juice in it. Um, I should be free to put orange juice in it. Uh, I will be most happy if I put orange juice in it. Henry Ford would look at you and say, okay, but you will ruin the orange juice and you will ruin the car. By not following my rules, by not obeying the design of this thing, you will be diminishing your freedom, not winning it. You see, you could be zipping around the country, but instead you'll be stuck here with a really stupid glass of OJ and a broken down car. In a similar way, God made this world. And he made it a certain way. Put gas in here, not orange juice. Right? He made it a certain way. We were made to run on love, not hate. We were made to run on forgiveness, not revenge. We were made to serve others, not to use and abuse others. There is a grain to the universe, as it were. And when we know the grain and we go with the grain, life is good and it is smooth and it's free. But when you go against the grain, life is rough and it's painful and it's full of splinters. And I don't want that and I'm guessing you don't either. You know, someone who wants to live a truly happy life, a truly free life, is not going to ignore the grain or get rid of constraints, but rather they're going to, pers- to seek to know what is the grain, where are the constraints, and live accordingly. It's a couple of years ago, 
but um, someone wise once painted uh, a very interesting picture for me. Uh, he said to me, or he, he helped paint this mental picture. I want to paint it for you now. He said, I want you to imagine there's a playground. And this playground is right on the edge of a cliff. There's a swing set, there's a slide, there's a jungle gym, right? All of this playground equipment dangerously close to this massive cliff. I want you to imagine lots of kids playing at this playground. And I want you to imagine or describe how they would play at this playground on the edge of this precipice. Do the children in your imagination look like they're having fun? Or are they afraid? Is their movement free? Or are they holding back? Is the play on this playground fun? It probably, if you're like me, it seems that it's cautious. It seems calculated. Yeah, it's fearful. Everyone is anxious. Everyone literally is on edge. But what happens when you put a fence around that playground? Same playground, but now with a fence around it. What does that do to the play? With a fence, I hear the play getting louder and there's more laughter. And the kids can now swing on the swings and slide on the slides and jungle on the jungle gym without fear of going over the edge. Right? They can play with reckless abandon. They can play with joy. Right? Not because there was an offense, because there was one. The, the imposition of the fence, right? Far from removing freedom, far from annihilating play, actually unlocked it. It made play possible. You see, the freedom isn't necessarily the absent or the removal of all constraints. It's actually knowing what the right ones are and living accordingly. Y'all, in college, Daniel wasn't just taking Babylonian one-on-one. He wasn't just taking the Chaldean classics. His schooling took place inside the classroom and outside of it as well. And Daniel found himself smack dab in the middle of a culture that sought to define him and instruct him in the way that he should go, saying, this is who you are. This is what it means to be human. This is what it means to be happy. This is the good life. And in very much the same way you find yourself here, immersed in this culture that is trying very much to do the same thing. You need to define yourself. You need to choose your own identity. You need to, make what, you need to do what makes you feel happy. You need to be free to do what you want, when you want, so long as it doesn't harm anyone. And this cultural messaging is around you all the time. But what are you going to do? Are you going to be a chameleon? Are you going to buy it, believe it, and blend in? 
Are you going to be a muskox, trying to live outside the culture and remain hostile to it? Or will you be salt and light? Will you enter into this culture, but not become exactly like it? Will you bring with you not just a new set of ideas, but the kind of life, the kind of actions that would accompany them? Will you be different, for goodness sake? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would. I pray that we would be different, for goodness sake. And I pray that as we turn our attention to you and as we listen to you, we would learn what it means to be fully human. And in learning what it means to be fully human, creatures made to know your love and to show your love, that we would find what it truly means to be free, what it means to truly be happy. Help us repent, to turn around, and to turn towards you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.